Most of you, okay, in case you missed it, uh, he, he's a defensive back, safety for the Buffalo Bills, took a hit tackling somebody in a game, uh, got up, and then fell right back down with a heart attack. Uh, my wife and I were watching the game at the time, multitasking on our screens, and our kids were running around, and it just stopped us in our tracks. Uh, for 40 minutes, we were wondering what in the world is happening to this poor guy. Uh, players gathered around him and created like a privacy wall, which was very apropos for the moment. And we wondered if on the other side of that, that human wall, if he had passed away. And we got emotional, like we, we got teary-eyed, we got the kids, we sat there watching this, we, we prayed for a little bit, hoping, hoping, hoping that he, uh, he lived. And it was an interesting study as I watched the commentators try to do something they'd never experienced before, like how do we handle this moment? You could just feel like, what do we do? And there were sort of two responses among the commentators. Um, some commentators said, our thoughts are with you. Other commentators said, our prayers are with you, meaning DeMar Hamlin. So uh, quick time out. I, I'm turning 60 a week from today. You have seven shopping days left for my birthday. And, um, you know, my, my, my dad had heart attacks at 58. If I ever have a heart attack up here and I, I fall over, do me a huge favor. Save me your thoughts, but please, please, please give me your prayers and call a paramedic. Preferably one with lots of tattoos and a nose ring and earrings because those are the ones on TV that always seem to be the most effective. So uh, give me your prayers, call a paramedic. Uh, it was interesting the next few days after that event, just watching what was taking place in our country. Uh, it, it was refreshing, actually. Our, our country felt less secular. There were articles in the New York Times as well as the Wall Street Journal about prayer and the, and the NFL. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, uh, one of the commentators for ESPN, in the middle of a, of a show, actually stopped and prayed a really beautiful prayer for DeMar Hamlin. It, it made me think about this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and specifically Timothy, and uh, modern-day Turkey now, but there are all these house churches, this big disciple-making, church-planting movement had been taking place in Ephesus and spreading around uh, all of Asia at that time. And he's, he's saying here, I urge you, I urge you to keep praying and keep interceding for those inside the church and those outside the church. Because prayer is one of the greatest gifts we can give anybody, anybody. Just ask Damar Hamlin. In Acts 20, 35, Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And most of us think about money in the context of this passage. Uh, the author, Luke, is talking about money, and we do give a lot of money away as a church. And we're able to do really cool things, like with this couple and, and, uh, that have, have uh, become refugees from the Ukraine. But one of the greatest gifts we can give people is not our money, but our prayers. Amen, somebody? I mean, just ask Tamar Hamlin, thank you, thank you, thank you, is what he's been saying for the last couple of weeks about all the people who have prayed for him. 
we are in the middle of a disciple-making movement in our city right now. Uh, this year, it's what, the 22nd? We've already had 200 baptisms this year through our simple churches in this city alone. Is that cool? Um, the movement is growing rapidly, especially among immigrants and, and refugees. Uh, if you want to, what, what is a disciple-making movement? It's, it's multiple streams of disciples who make disciples who make disciples to the fourth generation. It's multiple streams of simple churches that start simple churches to the fourth generation. And at a certain point, it just starts going viral. And that's what's begun to happen in our city. Uh, D.L. Moody once said, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Long before there was a disciple-making movement that began three years ago in our city, there was a prayer movement going on in our city. Everyday disciples were on their knees praying that God would move in a big way in our city. And we get to be a part in answering those prayers. Uh, one of the men I know that's been praying for years and years for a movement in the front range is a guy named Daniel Harrington. Um, here's his picture. For years, this man has been on his knees crying out to God, praying, praying the spirit of God would move and there'd be a movement in our city. Every Thursday, he's on a phone call, a Zoom call with other prayer warriors, praying for a movement in our city and, our, and in the front range. And so Restoration Family, uh, we need the prayer movement inside our church to grow as fast as the disciple-making movement outside of our church. And that's what we're doing this series, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, this series is based on a, a moment that took place between the disciples and Jesus. They had been watching Jesus pray. He would often go away, it says in Luke, to lonely pray, places, and he would pray. And, and they saw the fruit of his prayer life. They saw the intimacy he had with God. They saw answers to prayer before their very eyes. And so one day they, they sat up next to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's our our prayer as a church right now, Lord, teach us to pray uh, in, over the course of these next few weeks. And so today, uh, I want to talk about how to pray for other people, how to intercede on behalf of other people. Have you ever had a moment where you, you felt like you should pray for somebody and you didn't know what to say? Like you just didn't have the categories to know how to pray for them. Well, today we're going to give you some categories to know how to pray for people when the opportunity comes. Now, if you're new to restoration, we have more acronyms than the military, Okay, we got an acronym for almost everything. Uh, we like to give away to people like simple, biblical, reproducible tools that help people feed themselves and help people make disciples. Tools that we can pass on to others. And so I want to share with you today a tool that is in our app on the notes page. It's called Bless. And so uh, if you go to our app right now, uh, at the top of the app, you'll see the series Teach Us to Pray. The teaching notes from today are in that app as well as this acronym. Uh, Church Online, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Download the app if you don't have it. All kinds of opportunities to grow with us throughout the week if you have our app. Uh, but this acronym stands for Body, Labor, Emotions, Social, and Spiritual. We're going to learn how to pray for people using those, those five categories. So right now, I want you to think about somebody that's been on your mind a lot recently. Somebody you have a burden for. They just keep coming to mind. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they have a, a health issue. Uh, maybe it's somebody who, who desperately needs Jesus, but they're just like resisting him. You know? Maybe it's somebody who's sick, somebody who's going through a job transition. Maybe it's a leader, the leader of your simple church, perhaps. Who has been coming to mind frequently? Who, who's on your heart right now? After we go through this acronym, we're going to take some time. We're going to pray for the people that God's placed on our heart. So here we go. Uh, the B stands for body. Uh, here we're praying for the physical wholeness and well-being of others. In, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, and then 7 through 8, it says, These 12, 
Jesus sent out with the following instructions. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Context is Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples. There's another version of this story in Luke chapter 10. There he's sending out the 72. Jesus had uh, not only the 12, but the 72 who were his disciples. He would send them out on mission trips. And, And he's giving them this instruction. He says, go preach the gospel. Let people know they have access to the kingdom of God right now. Um, heal the sick, raise the dead, drive out demons. Now, here's the kicker. The, the instructions that he gave the 12 disciples are for us today. If we're following Jesus, we are his disciples. They were like version 1.0, we're version 20, 23.0. But we are disciples, and we are to do the same things that they did. So how's that going for you? How'd your preaching go in the 16th Street Mall this week? Have good success with your megaphone? Anybody heal anybody this week? Raise the dead? Any raise the dead stories in the house? Love to hear them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we shrink back from these kind of instructions and challenges from Jesus going, that must be for somebody else, like super spiritual people. But, but these 12 disciples had the same kind of anxiety when Jesus asked them to do this stuff that we do today. They felt just as inadequate as we do. Uh, my wife, Chris, and I, we have been watching the Chosen series. I'm the greatest advertisement probably for that series. I should get paid. I talk about that series so much. I love that series. If you haven't downloaded the app, check it out. But love these movies about Jesus and the 12 disciples. And this last week, we watched one called, it was titled Two by Two. And it's about this, this event in Matthew 10 where we just read about. And for dramatic effect, they went black and white as Jesus is in front of them at, at this table. And he starts telling them, hey, you're going to go out, you're going to preach, and you're going to heal people, you're going to raise the dead, and you're going to cast out demons. Go have some fun. And they just start freaking out. And Jesus starts assigning them you know, to pair up. He's Matthew, tax collector, go with Simon the Zealot, which is like a special ops guy. You guys go that direction. Peter, you take so-and-so. You go that direction. Go these different directions and do what you've seen me do. It's your turn now. And, and they immediately do exactly what we do in our heart. They started complaining. They started telling Jesus, that we don't, we can't, we're not you. Like, we can't do this stuff. We can't do what you do. You're Jesus. We're just normal people. And he reminded them, I will be with you through my spirit. And of course, the rest is history. It is normal for us to feel inadequate when Jesus asks us to pray really big prayers for people. Okay. Um, there were a few years ago, a man named Mark Carla was a part of our church. His wife was in the last service. And uh, Mark grew very close to many of us. We watched him grow spiritually. We watched him like, be transformed before our eyes as he grew. And uh, he, he began to go on mission trips to India. We have two schools in, in India. And he's, he was a dentist, and he would go over there and extract teeth and, and help people with dental work, and just fell in love with India. And then he was uh, coming home one night, I think it was a Garth Brooks concert, in an Uber, and he got hit by another car. And he was uh, put in the ICU and hanging on for several days, just hanging on by a thread to his life. And our church was just praying and praying and praying for this guy. And, and I grabbed this guy in our church that is one of the biggest prayer warriors I know. And we went to the ICU and we, we got in front of Mark and we prayed with everything we had. We were crying. We were proclaiming faith statements over him versus praying, God, please heal this man. Mark, get up, get up, get up. Wife and kids, God, please save this man's life. And God didn't answer our prayers. 
couple days later, he died. There's been so many times I've prayed for people. I've prayed so hard, and then nothing happens. And then I feel so inadequate, and I start asking myself, am I wasting my time? Anybody ever been there? Do our prayers really make a difference? And it's a great mystery to me. Sometimes God says yes. Often he seems to say no when it comes to praying for people's bodies. But every once in a while, he does the miraculous. Uh, my wife reminded me of a woman, that's, her name's Jana, and uh, when Chris was living in Kansas City, she was terminally ill with cancer, and then Chris and her friends prayed and fasted, and she had a dramatic healing, and she's alive and well today. Uh, one, one day at my last church, it was, a, it was a Sunday evening, we just finished the service, and there was a, an Asian guy came up to me, and he goes, I have been like racked with pain, back pain, for years and years. I've seen orthopedic surgeons, I've been to PT, chiropractors, I've done everything, but I'm still in pain. Would you pray for me? And so I gather some people to pray for him, thinking, literally in the back of my head, I go, God's probably not going to do anything. That's how much faith I have. So we, uh, we laid hands on him. We prayed that God would heal him. You know, the kind of stuff you do. God, you're the great physician. You can heal this man. And I'm not kidding. Immediately, he said, I'm better. And me, being such a great man of faith, I thought, oh, it's probably psychosomatic. You know, like spiritual somatic or something. Yeah, you're, you're probably not really better. Are you sure you're better? And then the next day he calls me, he goes, dude, my back is like, I'm all better. Like, I'm, I've not been pain-free for years. I am pain-free. And I go, well, that's great. And I thought, maybe it'll go away. And then months later, he said, I'm still pain-free. Sometimes God says yes. Is that good news? Some of you, if I gave a mic and started passing around, I bet most of you have a story, at least either for you or some of you know that you were prayed for, or they were prayed for physically, and they were healed. Now, let's ante up a little bit. Do you believe God still raises the dead? Yeah, because he does. I got two friends who've literally seen people raised from the dead. I'm Jay Tendra, who leads our movement among immigrants and refugees. He was here at the last service. He's got stories. My friend Curtis Sargent, who's trained our staff and many of our leaders in how to make disciples who make disciples, he has seen People literally raised from the dead before his eyes. He, he told us this one story that I've shared in the past, but I, I love this story. I'm going to share it again uh, about these two teenage girls in China. And, and they, they came to faith and then just fell in love with the scriptures. And they, they read this story about going out two by two. And so they went out, the two of them, village to village, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, praying for the sick, you know, casting demons out of people, making disciples, staying for a while, making disciples, starting simple churches that later reproduced and started more simple churches. They, these two girls began a movement. Two teenage girls, like 15, 16, 17 years old. And then they got pretty far away from home, and one of the girls passed away. She died of something. And the other girl prayed, 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 nothing happened. Other Christians prayed, 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 nothing happened. But she since she was supposed to take the body back to the village where they were from and ask the Christians and her, her house church, her simple church, to pray for this woman. She put this friend of hers in a potato sack and hopped a freight train, brought her back to this village. They laid her out on a table there in the middle of their simple church. Everyone began to pray, and the, the girl literally rose up from the dead. This woman is still alive. She got married. Her house is a training center. She and her husband have like day jobs, but they spend much of their time training disciples to make disciples and to see this movement that they've begun years, years and years ago grow in China. And in her house, she has this, this little uh, shoe that she wore on that mission trip, the shoe she was wearing when she died. 
And underneath his shoe, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God still raises people from the dead. So restoration, let's be a church that prays for people's healing. Let's be a church that prays for people when they pass away. Let's pray, let's pray for miraculous stuff, man. Let's pray big prayers, knowing that sometimes God says yes, and other times he says no. And let's just be comfortable with the mystery of that. Um, Alistair McCrath has said, as with the cross, our darkest hour may be God's finest moment. On the other side of the cross, everything was dark. On this side of the cross, hey, resurrection. That's true when we go through suffering. And here's, here's the hope that we have. I, I spoke with Mark Carla's wife after the last service. And I said, you know, I don't know why God didn't bring Mark back to life. I don't know why God didn't heal Mark, but I know this. You're going to see him soon. And there's going to be a resurrection. Amen? We live with this hope. So let's pray for people's bodies. Let's pray for their physical well-being. Um, let's also pray for people's labor. Uh, let's pray for the work that they do. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 17, he's praying in the Garden of Simon. He's praying to his heavenly father. And, and he's able to say this, I have brought you glory by finishing the work that you gave me to do. He finished the work that God gave him to do. Now, that, that included building homes as a carpenter. Um, that included taking care of his mom and his, his brothers and sisters when Joseph, his father, passed away. That included preaching the Sermon on the Mount, making disciples who went on to make disciples, and that's why we're here today. That included dying on the cross. That included rising from the dead. All of that was included. All the work that Jesus did brought glory to his heavenly father. All the work that we do, if done for the glory of God, can bring glory to him and give people a taste of heaven in the present age. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The, the teaching of the New Testament regarding what we have to hope for is not that we go to heaven, we die. Jesus said we go to paradise. The hope of the New Testament is that heaven's gonna come back to earth as it once was before the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter three. That's our hope. Our hope is a bodily existence in a physical world where heaven and earth become one yet again, where we experience the presence of God all the time. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so all the work that we do here now means something for the future. Everything we do, if done for the glory of God, will have some antecedent in the future age, when heaven and earth are joined once again. So that, that guy at the, at the grocery store, maybe you've met this guy, that is friendly. Like he actually wants to know your name. And he's joking with the other employees and he's creating a sense of joy, a culture of joy there at the grocery store. And he jokes with you a little bit and he smiles at you and takes a genuine interest in you as he's bagging your groceries at Whole Foods and you're cashing in your whole paycheck. That guy... That guy is bringing heaven to earth. You know how people, when they're nice to you, it sort of stays with you all day and you want to be nice to people because people have been nice to you. He's bringing heaven to earth. Now, that, that woman who gave up her career to stay home and change diapers and love her kids and pray for them and train them in the ways of God, she's bringing heaven to earth. That woman who's the CEO of a company and she's creating an incredible culture of love and humility and hustle and hungry respect, and she's creating insanely great products and experiences for people, that woman is bringing heaven to earth. She is glorifying God. 
our work can glorify God. God wants our work to glorify God. And so when we pray for people, we pray for their labor. We pray that, that, that their jobs satisfy their needs financially, um, that it, their jobs bring them a sense of satisfaction. We pray that, that it blesses and, and benefits those who consume their goods and services. And, and then if they work for a publicly traded company, we pray that the stocks rise so our 401ks rise with them, okay? All the boats rise together. We need that kind of prayer more than ever right now, I think. So let's pray for people's bodies. Let's also pray for their labor. Uh, we want to pray for people's emotions. This is praying for the emotional well-being of others. In Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I will often use this verse at a funeral. What it's saying to us is that God cares about our emotions. And that when we're hurting, if we'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to us, and we'll feel his presence comforting us. You know, when someone's hurting, there's not a whole lot to say to them. But there's a whole lot you can pray for them. Let's learn to pray for people when they're emotionally struggling. Let's pray that God will comfort them. Um, let's pray that the, they'll grieve with hope. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, if you're a disciple, you grieve with hope because you know in the future there's going to be a resurrection. I saw it in Mark Collier's wife, Allison, later, earlier today. She, like we, we were sharing the hope we have that before long we're going to see Mark again. And then we pray that they'll find uh, the truth and hold on to it. So often we have emotional problems because we're thinking things that aren't true. We're believing lies. We're, we're making agreements with the devil. Uh, we have thinking errors that keep us from being happy. So we pray that people will hold to the truth because Jesus promised the truth will set us free. Uh, I had a little birthday party uh, the other night with just uh, some friends, and my, uh, my shrink was there. And uh, so we... we stepped aside for a few moments, and we were just sort of celebrating the night because he's seen me now for over 25 years. And I've come into his office after I found out my ex-wife had an affair and then later another one. I've walked into his office when my parents died. Uh, I've walked in his office when I was uh, a single dad with two teenage daughters not having a clue what I needed to do. I've been in his office crying and frustrated when I've gone through leadership challenges. And we were kind of reminiscing about all the pain, you know, and all the seasons of brokenness. But they were like, man, look at tonight, man. Look at tonight. Look what God has done in my life. I've got a wife I love. I've got kids I love. I'm in the most amazing church. I mean, the culture of this church, you guys, is so awesome. And I got to thank Jason and Billy and all the leaders who've done such a great job creating this incredible culture that I get to experience I have never, I just, I tell people all the time, 2022 was the best year of my life. And I believe I'm where I am right now, and I'm in a place of emotional health and well-being right now, because so many of you prayed for me during those dark times and those hard seasons. And so thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So what a gift it is for us to be able to pray for people when they are emotionally struggling. We may not know what to say, but there are many things we can pray. So that's the E in the acronym. Um, the first S stands for social. Uh, this is praying for the, the relational well-being of others. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, it's not good for man to be alone. We were not made to be alone. We were not made to live in isolation. We were made for connectivity. We were made for, for relationships. Uh, according to LifeWay Research, Denver is the third loneliest city in North America. Does that surprise anybody? especially when you think about how, how the, the percentage of singles 
there are that live in our city. Uh, and I think this has been exacerbated by what happened during COVID. You know, we, we, we get used to working at home. And man, I'm, like many of you, I love working at home. I like getting up and being in my sweats, you know, for a few hours before I come into the office. But more and more, people are just staying home all the time. You know, we talk about company culture. Well, they don't even know what their company's culture is because they never even go to the office. And that may be some of you. And this is leading to more and more and more isolation. And so we are a nation that has a shrinking amount of social capital. We are losing more and more connectivity. We're doing life more and more alone. And so as a church, I hope that we'll, we'll stand against this, this pattern that we see in culture. I hope that we'll start opening up our homes. Kind of like we've seen in the book of Acts, you know, where they would open up their homes and, and, and have meals together. Um, candidly, Chris and I, when we have people over, we always gripe a little bit. We got to clean the house. You clean the toilet and pick up the toys. And we got to, we don't love to cook. We got to figure out how to cook something, you know, and grab a recipe off the internet or whatever. And we'll gripe and complain. And then people come over like, gosh, it's so good to have these people in our home. And afterwards, we're like, we're so glad we did that. What if we push through our resistance when it comes to hospitality and start opening our homes up or maybe even set a goal to have like, you know, one meal a week with somebody else? Um, we need to start more and more simple churches. A simple church is a spiritual family. That's the nature of a simple church. It's not just a group where you have these transactional moments. We actually do life together. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We hold each other accountable. We seek God together. We, we seek to make disciples together. Uh, we have a supply and demand issue right now at Restoration. We have more people who want to be in simple churches than we have simple churches. We need more simple churches. We need more people to say, I will, I will help lead one. I'll host one in my home. Um, if that's you, I encourage you to go to our multi-training event. I'll give you more details about that here in a little, a little while. We need to invite people to worship services where they, they can be with others. It's one thing to worship online. Church online, love you. It's one thing to worship online. It's way better when you're here. Am I right? Amen. You feel the presence of God when you're, you're with other people who are seeking God and worshiping next to you. So we need to invite people to our worship services, and this is really important. We need to invite our kids and students to come to church. I mean, they're, they're facing levels of isolation and depression and anxiety like, such that we've never seen before in any other generation. They're so isolated. We need them to be up with our kids and be discipled by adults who love them. We need them here on Sunday evenings in our student ministry so they can build a community with friends who are trying to walk with Jesus and you know, live out the same kind of teachings and values together in a world that's often hostile to the ways of Jesus. So how do we pray for people socially? Well, one, we pray that God blesses their relationships, that, that he blesses their singleness, that he blesses their marriages, that he blesses their, their families, uh, that he blesses the connections they have at, at work, and then certainly in church that they find family. And we pray that, uh, that everyone who needs a spiritual family can find one. Now, the last letter in our intercessory acronym is this. It's another S, and it stands for the spiritual health and well-being of others. We want to pray that people know God and grow in their zeal for God. We pray for people who don't know God, they come to know God in the way of Jesus. And we pray for people who do know him that their zeal would grow. Now, our mission as a church is loving people into a life of passionately following Jesus. And I could do a sermon on every word pretty much in that, that mission statement. But I want to talk about that passion piece briefly. God deserves our passion. He deserves our passion. 
It says about Jesus in John 2, 17, zeal for my father's house consumes me. What God is looking for is zealous, passionate followers of Jesus. In the book of Revelation, God speaks to the church of Laodicea and he says, you're, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And so I want to vomit you out of my mouth. God does not want apathetic followers. He's looking for passionate followers of Jesus. And so let's pray for one another's zeal. You know, we get consumed by so many things. We get consumed by uh, how many elevation feet we get in a day when we're skiing. I'm, t- I'm told by insiders, if you go to Keystone, you can get the most elevation feet. You mainly be on bunny slopes and greens, but you'll get a lot of elevation feet. We get passionate. Hey, look at all the elevation, you know, I've skied today. And then we get passionate about like these things. I got any whoopers in the room or aura ring people. Got a few. I get so pumped up about my biometrics and how much I slept and how my, you know, how much room sleep I got in a given night. We get, we get all this kind of stuff, you know. We get consumed by some of the silliest things. Why not be consumed by God? What could be more important than being consumed by God and being passionate for him? And so, yes, let's pray for our friends who don't know Jesus. And let's pray for this movement we're part of to reach more and more people. And let's pray that people grow in the image of Christ. But let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for our church, that we would have a white-hot passion for God. I'm going back to India here in a few weeks, and one of the reasons I go to India is to get like a spiritual infusion of zeal and passion. I hang out with pastors who've literally been beaten and persecuted. I, I go to church services where the temperature is like 120 degrees and everyone's sweating, but they're dancing. They're just worshiping their hearts out. And I just want to export that and bring it here. Let's be zealous for God. Let's pray that we are a passionate, fired up group of disciples. Amen. That is the BLESS acronym. Let's talk about how to use this acronym. I want to encourage you to use this acronym with strangers. We want to be bold in sharing our faith. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. We want to, but to get into a gospel conversation, you've got to start somewhere by talking about spiritual things. One of, the, one of the best gifts you can give somebody, one of the easiest ways to get into a conversation is just ask somebody if you can pray for them. I was at Sam's a few weeks ago and I was looking for a new pair of glasses because I'm cheap that way. And uh, <clears throat> the, the lady I was talking to about these different glasses, uh, I, I, I said, hey, as I was getting ready to leave, I go, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. She goes, my daughter just got in a car wreck. The, the car is totaled. And she just sort of shared some, some things were on her heart. And so I prayed for her. I, put my, I asked if I could put my hand on her shoulder. And she goes, yes. And right there in the store, I prayed for her and I just used this acronym. I prayed for her, daughter, her daughter's uh, injuries, prayed for her body. I prayed for this woman's labor, you know, that, that God would take care of her financial needs. I prayed for her, her emotional well-being. I prayed for her relationships with her husband and her, her daughter and her friends and family. And then I prayed for her soul. I prayed for her spiritual well-being. I, I prayed that she would know the love of God and how crazy is, that God is for her. And, and then I finished praying for her, and she gave me a card, and I gave her my information and she said, thank you. And then I went and got some free sausage because that's what you do at, at Sam's. You know, get the freebies. So. It was pretty cool. So pray for strangers. In that moment, remember this BLESS acronym and just start praying for their well-being and holistic well-being. And then pray for your friends and family. If you don't have a prayer list, please, don't, let, don't go through this whole series without beginning a prayer list, okay? 
So, you know, have those you know who are following Jesus on that list. Have those, you know, are not following Jesus on the list. Have those you, you don't know, but you know, make a prayer list. Kind of go through the concentric circles of your life, like your closest family and friends, and kind of go out from there. And, and pray for them on a, on a regular basis. And use this BLESS acronym when you're praying for them. Maybe, maybe certain days of the week, you just pick on a certain area of their life that you want to pray for. And then parents, I want to encourage you, use this with your kids. One of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is to bless them and to pray for them. And so at night when you put them in bed or if they're teenagers, as you're kind of talking to them over the dinner table and you stop and pray with them, just kind of go through this acronym and pray for them. Uh, Chris and I, we, we've gotten into this habit where we're, um, we're trying to memorize blessings in the Bible. Right now as a, as a couple and as a family, we're memorizing Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, this beautiful blessing. And we, at night we, we pray that blessing over our kids. Parents, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is to pray God's blessings over them. Uh, if you want to learn more about this acronym and how to use it, how to grow your prayer life, how to feed yourself, how to make disciples, um, we do have this multiply training event coming up. Uh, here's some details. Uh, this is in our, in our app and it's on our website. Uh, I want to encourage you to get trained, to learn how to feed yourself, to learn how to make disciples, to learn how to, how to pray and how to start simple churches. Uh, but right now, as the band prepare us to come up. We got some keys playing behind us. Let's, let's take a few moments. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And uh, let's think about that person that I asked you to bring to mind earlier, that person that you have a burden for right now. You, you keep thinking about them. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a, a boyfriend, girlfriend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a non-Christian friend that's just spiritually lost. Maybe it's somebody who's made some bad choices recently.